Hey, Boaz, how's that new microphone treating you? It's terrifying. Hello, this is Tom Miller from Solar Review. We have two podcasts for you this week. The first episode is with Boaz Soifer, the CEO of Bewa Ari Solar Systems, and we are following up on an article that Boaz wrote a few weeks ago on the Saniva trade case and how a contractor can think about and evaluate their risk. If you haven't read the article, it was one of our most popular articles of the last few months, and you can read it now on Solar Review. If you've never been there before, this is our online magazine that focuses on helping solar contractors run efficient and healthy solar businesses. So please check it out and subscribe so you don't miss anything. Just Google Baywa, that's B-A-Y-W-A, and R period E period view, Baywa Review, and you'll find us. The second podcast we have this week is a follow-up to an SPI panel called Getting Out of the Race to the Bottom. This panel was a discussion of the different pain points that many solar contractors are experiencing and what you can do to try to overcome those. So make sure to check out that episode with Pam Cargill and Barry Cinnamon. Okay, without further ado, here's my conversation with Boaz. So today we're meeting up to talk about the article that you wrote last week on the Seneva trade case. This article got a ton of reads and shares on LinkedIn and on Solar Review. And my feeling is that one of the reasons that, that this piece was so popular was that it had a different take from a lot of this, the Seneva stuff that's out there. You looked at some very real world examples of how solar contractors might be impacted by this trade case ruling. And the way you look at it is you you look at the example of project backlog and you say that most solar contractors have a 30 to 60 day backlog of projects. And these are the jobs that will be at risk when the ruling goes into effect. And your article looks at the different ways that a contractor can mitigate their risk using what you call the basic four levers. Uh, Can you go over those levers for us and and talk about how they work? Sure. So... Before I go to the levers, let me just say what we're trying to do is help a contractor manage their backlog as securely as possible, given the possibility that their cost of goods could increase by 20% or more um, at some point, possibly in November or possibly in January. So uh, the point at which pricing is going to change is currently a little unpredictable. And we want to make sure contractors don't get caught having to fulfill a backlog that they can't afford to fulfill. That's the biggest issue here. So Mm -hmm. the things a contractor could do, number one is make sure they have a termination clause in their contract that that allows them just to back out without any penalty. And um, they can explain in the contract why that's the case right now. Um, That can be off-putting to a customer, but with the right explanation, I think that could work. The next lever is for the contract to actually allow for repricing the contract. So so if you were to say, for example, um, this is the cost of the system to the homeowner, but if the uh, trade case results in a tariff of 20 cents a watt on PV modules, the price of this system is going to go up 20 cents a watt. The third lever is buying equipment in advance, and that could allow the contractor to maintain their cost of goods even after the tariff effective date. And the fourth Mm -hmm. lever is start selling at a higher price now or at some point before the tariff takes effect. Um, And that's kind of a hedge against the higher cost of goods that a contractor would see. 
Okay, great. So you you laid out these four levers. You also mentioned in the article how these can be combined. So how does how does that work? Well, a, a more complex way to deal with the situation would be to go ahead and change the terms in your contract um, and buy some equipment in advance, maybe not your whole backlog, but you know, if you have a 60-day backlog, maybe you buy three weeks of it or four weeks of it in mm-hmm. advance. And then yeah. you could start selling at a higher price, but if you're guessing there's going to be a 20-cent tariff, you might start selling at a 5% a five cent increase, right? And kind of hedge. Um, I think the key is that, you know, if you end up selling at close to zero margin for a month or two, it probably won't kill your business, especially if mm-hmm. you're not planning to grow next year. So, so the important thing is to not lose money and get through this backlog with as little pain as possible. So I, I think it's a, it's a reasonable thing to say, well, if, if I raise my prices now by 20%, I'm going to stop selling. It's not a competitive price given what everybody else is doing in the market. But maybe there's a tolerance from the market for me to raise my prices 5%. And that helps yeah. me bank against the risk of my cost of goods going up. And that, unless I'm mistaken, that, that kind of leads you into this idea that you have two factors that a contractor might need to balance in these cases, weathering the reduced margin or letting their backlog get lean. Um, when they think about that, what are the variables that contractors should think about when deciding which of those is more important or how they might want to toggle those? That's a great question. And it's really individual business by business. If, for example, a contractor has three crews that they need to keep busy, at least busy enough so that the employees on those crews don't go looking for other work, the backlog shrinking could cause downtime for those crews and create another expense of the contractor having to rehire later. Mm, yeah. Um, so, so backlog is important uh, for the stability of the business and keeping employees on board. Margin is important because a contractor has to pay their bills. So there's a different point between those two risks, essentially, for every contractor to choose. None of them are going to be comfortable. Okay, great. Uh, I want to point people to the article. Um, You've got a neat table that breaks down what an action a contractor might take, like an example is do nothing or maybe buy in advance, and it shows the output of that action on margins, sale uh, sale process, and backlog. So I recommend that people check out that article and check out that table. Before we move from this topic, uh, I want to talk about one group of contractors that are very at risk. For those contractors in states that are just beginning to become mainstream, and in those states, you're predicting 60 to 70% declines, and and that's given the worst case floor price of 78 cents a watt. Do you have any advice to contractors in those areas about weathering the storm? Yeah, again, there's no comfortable outcome. I think the, the biggest mistake that a contractor can make is saying, we're special, we're going to grow through it, this doesn't affect us. And that's a great attitude, and your employees love hearing it, and your bank loves hearing it. However, a market contraction is a reality that typically affects everybody. 
And so looking now at what your overhead is in a market that could be down 50, 60, 70% next year, can you continue carrying that overhead? Should you be planning now for where you might be able to reduce costs? Do you want to outsource labor or have a have a plan to outsource labor if that's the condition that you're going to be in next year? One thing that that can be tempting for a contractor to do is to increase their marketing spend now and think, well, I'm just going to build my backlog so big that I'm going to be able to ride it out. But I think this could take a few years for a marginal market to recover. And mm. uh, I don't think that's a good strategy. Every contractor should be looking at reducing their soft costs, especially customer acquisition. But that alone is not going to bridge uh, market contraction. So cash is king. Take care of your cash flow. Make sure you're profitable on a month by month basis so that you can be here uh, when the market recovers. Yeah, great. Um, Before we go, I want to ask you briefly to talk about two things that jumped out at me from your SPI panel. And we published this panel last week as a podcast, so people can go and listen to it. It's uh, really great. It's got a lot of good information uh, hosted by or moderated by Pam Cargill, uh, Solar Review regular. The two things that jumped out at me were your comments on brand and the importance of brand for solar contractors. And the other was efficiency and process, process being part of that efficiency. But talk about brand for a minute. Why is this such an important topic for solar contractors? Well, I think it depends on the size and scale of the solar contracting business and how competitive the market is. It's not necessarily the first thing that a contractor needs to work on. But as a business matures, I think it's really important to keep in mind. And I don't separate brand from culture or from core values or some of the other kind of organizational development work that um, that companies do as they become more sophisticated. So so I think there, there are really two things that brand does or awareness of brand does for a business. One is it embodies core values. It creates kind of a theme of integrity that employees resonate with. So... Mm-hmm. When your employees are proud to wear the company color and are excited to come to a company party and things like that, you're probably doing a good job on brand, even if you haven't defined it that well yet. As you have more and more people, especially more remote people, defining brand more specifically becomes more valuable, becomes a more important part of um, how your employees resonate with your business. I've got a truck going by here. Sorry for the background noise. The other thing that brand does is differentiate you in the market. So so when a customer gets three or five or ten proposals from various competitors, they are going to actually feel what it's like to work with your company if you're successful in conveying your brand through the sales and proposal process. So if you're really responsive to them, then they're going to associate your brand with being customer focused. And if you're very detailed in the proposal and thorough, I don't mean bury them with facts, but but if mm-hmm. you're appropriately detailed and are able to answer precise questions, then you're going to demonstrate knowledge. And the value of knowledge, the core value of knowledge, will then be demonstrated as part of your brand. 
So every interaction that you have with a customer at every touch point in their process is an opportunity to demonstrate who you really are. And that's all brand is, right? It's not marketing fluff. It's finding ways to convey who you really are with integrity to your customer and to your employee. So you get a higher level of engagement from both. That's why it's important. And going back to the first point on brand, when, when you were talking about how part of brand is actually the, the culture of the company uh, and the values of the company, one thing you mentioned was the better that the employees can understand your business and the more transparent you are, the more engaged they're going to be in how you're doing. Is that correct? Yeah, that's a kind of progressive way of thinking about it, I guess. I have talked to contractors that definitely did not want to be transparent with their entire team about the health of the business and the challenges Mm -hmm. and the net profit and things like that. And I can understand that. And I think the more people that know what your problems are and what your capabilities are, the more everyone can make better decisions. So I I think it's important and I value that. Okay. And the second part of what you talked about was efficiency. So you mentioned that while brand might not be the most important thing, you in the panel, you did say that you felt like the most important thing was efficiency uh, and that what contractors should be concentrating on right now is running more efficient businesses. Um, Can you talk about that a bit and how process influences efficiency? Because you talked a little bit about process as well. Yeah, the key phrase is right now. Um, I'm not saying that contractors Mm. should always focus on efficiency and only efficiency as their top priority. Um, But right now is a unique time in the industry where prices have continued to come down. They're, They're up a little bit right now, but overall they're continuing to come down. And uh, margins are continuing to come down as competition increases and markets mature. And some soft costs remain the same. And so there's this wedge as revenue and gross profit decline and overhead stays the same, net profit of the business declines. And as the net profit of a business declines, there's less money to fund growth and to try stuff and to be creative. So, so, so that's one factor that just reinforces the important, importance of efficiency. The other one is that we're at a time in the industry where being really creative and having kind of revolutionary change in businesses has dramatically declined. And what people are doing in their businesses now is striving for incremental change, incremental improvement. So, so if I can get my cost of customer acquisition down by 5% every quarter or by 10% every quarter, I'm making incremental improvements that end up making a phenomenal difference in the profitability of my business, which translates into the ability of my business to sustain. So I think now is a time in the industry to like, we call it growing up in in Bewa. That's what we're talking about at our company meetings. Mm Um, For example, something that we do over and over, right? There's a price reduction. We need to roll it out to the market. Sometimes that feels like a science project. Like like we do it a little bit differently every time. And I think we're at a point where we have to do it the same way every time. And then we need to incrementally improve on, on that way. But we can't invent this process each time. I think being able to to have a playbook and run the plays from it very consistently 
gives you a platform as a business owner or as an operations manager to find those opportunities for incremental improvements. And I guess that's how process plays into it. That was part of your original question is having your flow charts for your key processes and looking at what the bottlenecks are in those processes, whether steps can be removed, whether every step creates value for your customer. Those are the kinds of questions you can ask yourself as you drive down the complexity of your processes, you'll increase your speed. And when you increase speed, you increase efficiency, you increase the ability to have choice, you create new potential in the business instead of always being operating at your at your maximum, you know, with the pedal to the metal. That's an uncomfortable condition to be in indefinitely. So growing up is 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 a great opportunity to also start running saner businesses and uh, have more time with our families and good stuff like that. Got it. Yeah. And if people want to read a little more about this idea of growing up, Boaz has a good article about that on Solar Review. Great. So that's it. I know you have to run. Thanks very much for taking the time today, Boaz. Thank you, Tom. It was fun. Okay, that's it for this episode of Solar Review. Please subscribe to this podcast, rate us on iTunes, and also check out and subscribe to our online magazine. Just Google Baywa Review, that's B-A-Y-W-A, R period, E period view, Baywa Review, and let us know if you want us to cover anything in particular. We love hearing from you. Okay, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.